I really put the article out. It started to get shared and promoted on platforms outside of Substack. And so it kind of grew beyond her existing audience as well, which was cool. But I was on vacation with my family and checked my email. I had an email from a literary agent and it was just someone reaching out saying, I read your article and I think I like your writing and I like this idea. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to The Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. You've heard the stories of those one in a million events where a woman is writing a blog or posting something to social media that goes viral and turns into a book. Couple examples, you might remember Julie Powell, who had a blog when she decided to cook all of Julia Child's recipes in a single year. And that blog got over 400,000 views and ended up leading to a movie called Julie and Julia. And then more recently, Rachel Hollis did a social media post with a photo of her stretch marks and was posting how she was proud of her stretch marks and that she would not be shamed by her stretch marks. And it resonated so much with women readers that she ended up with her book, Girl Stop Apologizing and uh, later Girl Wash Your Face, which were multiple, unbelievably successful in sales on the New York Times bestsellers list. I was have never really seen numbers like that in terms of how many books she was selling on a weekly basis. So you hear these stories, and, and I don't know about you, but sometimes it just sounds too good to be true, right? It's like, how could that really happen to a real person? Well, today, I have a real person, just like those two ladies, named Dana Miranda. And Dana is actually a certified educator in personal finance, and she's a personal finance journalist. She's the founder of Healthy Rich, a platform for inclusive, budget-free financial education, where she works with organizations, schools, and companies dedicated to making money better for folks who are often left out of the conversation about money. Dana grew up in a working class family in a small town in Wisconsin, and when she joined the ranks of personal finance media in 2015, she found the niche was led mostly by advice and admonitions from middle class white men, which ignored the broad diversity of our relationships with work and money. So after leaving a leadership position with a popular financial media startup and spending two years as a freelance writer, uh, by the way, where she has been published, by uh, the likes of Forbes, Insider, Culture Study, The New York Times, CNBC, and Inc. Magazine. She founded Healthy Rich to change the way we talk about money. And Dana did a blog post that took off and led to her being approached by both a literary agent and a big five publisher. And she ended up 
Well, why don't I just bring Dana on right now and let her tell you the story. Dana, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thanks so much for having me, Robin. I am so excited to have you here be, and, and you know, to share with us about your journey to publishing because it almost seems like a mythology, right? That you can write a blog post and have it go viral and then have it lead to a real book deal with, by the way, you know, Hachette is the parent company of your publisher, which is one yes. of the five. So uh, I want to make sure our listeners get, you know, this is, we mean book deal with a capital mm-hmm. B, capital D. Uh, and so, you know, I, I am just really excited to hear about this process and and how it all happened. So I'm going to have to slow myself down. Dana is really what I'm telling you. Uh, <laughs> so maybe we just back up a little bit before. Tell us a little bit about your blog and how and when you started your blog and why. So I... Um, write at healthyrich.co. That's the blog and and Substack that you're referring to. And I share stories about personal finance and and different perspectives on personal finance. For about four years before I started that, I was working as a writer in personal finance media. And uh, I started with a full-time job as a staff writer. And that's where I really learned about personal finance. I came in kind of not knowing anything about money, my own money, anybody else's money, and just learned as I was writing, kind of got a masterclass in money management from that. But I realized as I was doing that work as a full-time writer, and then eventually as a freelance writer in the space, I was seeing that all of the advice in the space was really coming from a single perspective. Everything was very focused from this perspective of a white middle-class man, for the most part, was kind of the dominant voice um, from most personal finance sites that I was seeing. And I wanted to see more because I didn't feel like I was represented as a queer woman. I have a working class background. There's a lot that felt like it wasn't speaking to me. And I knew then that I also wasn't hearing from women of color, people with disabilities and immigrants, a lot of marginalized Mm -hmm. people whose voices we really don't hear kind of in general in the media, but we weren't hearing personal finance advice from those perspectives. So I started Healthy Rich to make a space just to invite people to share their stories and to start to learn myself from their experiences and their perspectives, um, because I had really just learned from the personal finance media that I had been working in, which was, you know, that very kind of one perspective. So I uh, created the site to make that space for those voices, to meet people, to, to learn their stories, and then also to write about the things that I was learning to take the personal finance expertise that I had learned in kind of traditional finance media and expand on it with this different approach to start to kind of question the um, single perspective that I was seeing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right, because it's it's not just the white middle-class male, it's the white mm-hmm. married middle-class cis hep male with two kids and you know two and a half kids and two and and two cars I don't know but you know (laughs) one single goal kind of one single path to get there the the goal of retirement I suppose Mm -hmm. uh so so what were some of the differences that that came forward for you early and strongly 
when you when you were starting to when you began to invite these new voices mm-hmm. I or your own I guess yeah yeah so one thing that was really interesting is the first thing I did is I launched the site with a writing contest um just as a way to kind of really cast a wide net and I was inviting women which I thought this will be an easy place to start because that's my perspective um and so I feel comfortable editing these and working with these writers and the kind of broad perspectives and array of stories that I got was, uh, was surprising because there are so many, you know, even just saying like, let's talk about women and money. Like there mm-hmm. are so many different kinds of experiences that people have. I heard from um, and published some stories from women who live in Pakistan and India, um, oh. West Africa, um, and, uh, you know, published stories of women of color and with disabilities. So I was able to get a lot of experiences that aren't my own while also, you know, connecting with people from that sort of baseline of like, we're women and we're talking about money um, in a space that's very dominated by men. But Mm -hmm. even within that, I loved that some people brought experiences that weren't what we expect when we say something like women in money or women in work. So for example, one, one woman whose story that I published was talking about her experience at work of kind of becoming the quote unquote work mom, which is a a big stereotype that a lot of us are aware of that as a woman at work, a lot of times you take on additional work in the office. That's not really part of your job. Um, Mm -hmm. You like host the birthday parties and bring in snacks and, (laughs) you know, you kind of become this like default um, assistant because a lot of people don't have assistants anymore. But she was telling that story from the perspective of really liking that role because she thinks of herself as a host. She loves hosting parties. She loves cooking for people, um, bringing people together, making space for people is what she does. And so even though it wasn't part of her job description, it was something that brings her a lot of joy at work. And she struggled with that as a feminist and thinking about her place as a woman at work that Mm. she felt like, well, I'm supposed to fight against the stereotype. She works in tech, I believe. Um, oh, and so wow. she's well, like, I'm supposed to be one of the, one of the guys. Yeah. And so it was the struggle actually was not, well, this role is being forced on me. It was, how do I, you know, live up to my values and still embrace this role that I love. Um, and I just really loved reading that perspective of yeah. even the assumptions that we make when we do kind of crack the door a little bit to different perspectives. Um, and thinking about the different ways that people interact with work and money um, are still, we still have to question those and understand that those nuances are different for every single person and every single relationship with money. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because you, you you can't leap to the assumption that she would resent that because it's not her quote role. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. Remind me, what year did you start this blog? I started publishing on Healthy Rich in late 2021. Late 2021. Okay, so the blog already existed. Is that the idea? And you started writing on on that platform? Yeah, I started Healthy Rich then. So it's been about a year and a half. Um, And before that, I was freelancing and and writing about personal finance for other sites. All right, so 2021. 2021. Mm -hmm. So not very long ago, really. No, yeah, just... Under a year and a half, I think. So, yeah. So it must have quick taken. It must have caught on rather quickly. Tell me about that experience of because it seems like you put the word out and you got a lot of mm-hmm. responses. 
Um, the writing contest. How did you post yeah. about it? Like, how did how did you get so many people engaged so quickly? So the writing contest was a really good way to get some attention early because um, it let me reach out into the network that I knew, which was writers. So mm-hmm. I knew people in the personal finance space, but I hadn't been building my own brand. I'd been working as a freelance writer in the space. So I was much more familiar with the writing space. And so it was a comfortable place for me to take on the role of being an editor and inviting writers into my world. And so the writing contest let me cast a wide net to that audience. And so my target audience wasn't specifically niched to writers, you know, for Healthy Rich, but everyone has an interest in personal finance because everyone is touched by money and and is dealing with money in their life. And so that was also a way to get the word out about the site to people without doing a ton of explicit promotion. Right. Um, And then also having other people published on the site, then they kind of spread the word too. So that was a way to kind of kick it off and launch it um, Mm -hmm. with not a ton of fanfare, but to be able to reach people in a way that felt right for me, which is like not very aggressive. Marketing is not something that I I really enjoy and don't have a huge following of my own. Um, I did have a little bit of an existing newsletter list just from over the years of doing different, different things and talking to freelance writers about freelance writing and that kind of thing. So I had a little bit of a base, but this was a way to kind of get, get some attention. And so it's, yeah, it's been able to grow slowly in that way. Mm-hmm. And so at some point you had a particular post that caught a lot of attention. Uh, tell us about that. So that one was a guest post that I wrote for another site. So I um, oh, pitched wow, an okay. article. Yeah, I pitched an article to Culture Study, um, which is written by Anne Helen Peterson, a journalist um, who used to work for BuzzFeed. So she has built an audience um, of, of her own also on Substack and has a pretty substantial following there. And I'm a huge fan of the newsletter. And she put out a call um, for guest guest writers to write about, uh, to write essays and kind of take her place for a week in the newsletter. And I pitched an article about what I call budget culture, which is kind of that philosophy is sort of what I'm building healthy rich around. And budget culture is this way that I described before of how we approach personal finance and financial education in our culture. That's really focused on that one perspective, kind of the one goal, one right answer, um, and really focused on um, kind of leans on restriction um, mm-hmm. through budgeting right. to achieve that goal. Restriction, pay, um, debt payoff, that kind of thing, and then investing towards getting rich. Mm-hmm. So I wrote an article about that for Culture Study as kind of a place I was really, you know, this was about six months into doing Healthy Rich, and I had built the platform of what it looked like. And then I was starting to kind of form the seeds of this philosophy on what I would want to build a brand and a business around. And so it it came at kind of a good time to where I was able to use the culture study platform to kind of um, get the idea out to a broader audience and, and test it a little bit with an audience that I knew would be kind, (laughs) Um, even though it's sort of like a, it's really questioning a lot of conventional advice that people are used to seeing. So I didn't want to just throw it out, you know, in 
to some personal finance space where people right. are used to following <laughs> like Dave Ramsey and they would be very critical. But this yeah. is a place where people are very open to um, kind of looking at the culture through a new lens and open to exploring new ideas. Yeah. And so I'm going to gather because your book is called You Don't Need a Budget, that the article would have been a more contrarian point of view from this standard budget model. So would you share with us a little bit about your perspective and your point of view on this? Yeah, so it really does boil down to you don't need a budget um, because most personal finance methods and advice start with some kind of budget, whether they call it that or not. Um, It's very similar to what I see in diet culture, which sort of starts with that restriction and discipline towards the goal of losing weight and kind of diagnoses every problem as you need to lose weight. And then a diet is the way to do it, whether they call it diet or wellness or lifestyle or whatever, it it boils down to diet because it's based on restriction. Um, Budget culture is very similar. It sort of diagnoses most of our financial problems as you're spending too much money or you're not making enough money. um, You have too much debt and eat whatever it is, you're just too much something. Um, and so you need to you need to draw it in and use a budget as um, some form of restriction to sort of rein that in. And so my stance is that that is really damaging for a lot of people, that the problem in a lot of people's lives with money doesn't have anything to do with us spending too much or not working hard enough to earn enough, not asking for enough money, um, that we need to start first by recognizing the systemic issues that cause a lot of financial strain and and challenges for people. So really basic kind of obvious things like inequality in our systems, also just the way that the systems are set up to sort of just the way that like capitalism is set up to extract money from consumers and give it to a few very rich people and companies. We need to start there and recognize what our real circumstances are and what actually you know, puts us in these situations and then go from there to start to ask questions about how how we should be using money and what actually needs to be changed. So whether we're looking at systemic change or we're trying to just answer questions for ourselves, we need to understand how those systems impact our individual circumstances. Right. Uh, know the water you're swimming in, so to speak. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. So was this the title of the article that you that you wrote that that really caught everyone's attention or how did the, you yeah tell, tell I us think about so the, the now title I of finally the get to ask you about yes. the article absolutely so. the title of the article and the and the way that I pitched it was budget culture and the Dave Ramsification of money oh, okay so it it <laughs> definitely tapped into what has existed long before me is some criticism and discomfort with the way that Dave Ramsey in particular teaches about money I talked about that a little bit, but really didn't center the article on that. But it's just a really good example because most people, no matter how much you're paying attention to any personal finance media, have heard of Dave Ramsey and have a vague idea of what he's teaching. Um, It tends to be a lot of people's sort of entrance into thinking about their money if they've never done it before, had any financial education. And so there's a little bit of critique, but he really kind of exemplifies what is going on in budget culture at large of this 
the the certain perspective that we talked about and then also the debt shaming and kind of focus on a budget and restriction. Um, he's very blatant about it in ways that a lot of other people are not. Um, a lot of influencers have come after Dave Ramsey and kind of softened that message um, into more of like a financial wellness type of message. Um, but it still tends to be very focused on on budgeting and tends to very much not talk about the systemic and, and political and social issues that interact with money in our lives. And so in, in your book, are you taking a more social commentary approach or a here's what you can do reader approach, or is it a mixture? It's a mix of both. And it's kind of fun because I wrote the article um, and was starting to build this philosophy around healthy rich. I was starting to build what I thought maybe the business would look like. So there was a lot, there was some stuff I was doing sort of behind the scenes, but I didn't plan to write a book proposal last year. Um, didn't plan to be writing a book this year. So <laughs> I didn't fully have that whole thing fleshed out, you know, to where when I said budget culture, like, and then here's all the answers to it. So it was something that I started to really build and it started to snowball as there was interest in writing a book. And a lot of it came from the response to that article, because I was able to read, you know, people's reactions and see what was resonating with them. And then also what were their big questions? Um, because the article is a lot more of just the social commentary. Here's what I see sort of diagnosing budget culture. Here's what I see is wrong in the way we approach personal finance. And then the big question was, so if we're not supposed to budget, what are we supposed to do? Like, how do I handle my money if the ways that I'm being told to do it are wrong? Um, and so that was not something that I didn't have an answer for, but something I didn't include in the article. Right, right. Um, and so that was what I really kind of needed to flesh out. So how do I communicate that to people? And that's kind of the next step then. So how did you first discover that there was interest in a book? What was what was the first signal that you got? It was really exciting, actually, because I hadn't thought of it. It wasn't on my radar at all. I really put the article out knowing that because I'm a huge fan of this newsletter and I know the size of her audience and the engagement, I knew that there would be a lot of engagement and excitement there. And that was great. But there, it started to get shared and, and promoted on platforms outside of this, uh, outside of Substack. And so um, it kind of grew beyond her existing audience as well, which was cool. But I was on vacation with my family and checked my email, which i shouldn't have been doing. It's kind of a bad habit, but I did. And I had an email from a literary agent um, that just said, you know, in the subject line, literary agent reaching out. So it was that sort of, I'm skimming email on vacation yeah, um, and thinking, let, let's just, you know, see what I can skip over. What can wait until I'm back from vacation. Right. And this one had to be opened. Yeah, of course. You know, what is this? Um, and it was just someone reaching out saying, I read your article. Um, and I think I, like you're writing and I like this idea, have you ever thought about writing a book? Which is a very exciting thing for someone who's been working professionally as a writer for over right? a decade to Absolutely. hear. Of course I've thought about writing a book yeah. my entire Maybe life. once or twice, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's definitely the goal, but I thought it would be 30 years from now, you know, it's like yeah. eventually. And so I wrote back and I said, yes, I am. And what's great about this agent and this agency in particular is that they are focused on that development piece. So mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm sure you can, you know, send 
proposals and and have fleshed out book ideas and and pitch their agents in that way. But they also specifically seek out people who don't already have that. And the agents work with you to develop that book idea. So for first time authors, which I am, I didn't have, um, I haven't published a book before this. That was really helpful and, and really comforting to me as soon as I, of course, took a phone call with him, you know, even kind of knowing, of course, I want to write a book, but I had no idea what it would be, but I'll take a call and see where this goes. That the first thing that he told me was that, that that's part of the process is, you know, I'll kind of be there to walk you through what a book proposal looks like, and also will help sort of flesh out this book idea to, to make it into something. So I did, I wasn't being expected to come with everything that ready is, to go. That is highly unusual too, because uh, uh, we have a lot of agents in our network and most mm-hmm. agents do, you know, they prefer to get a proposal from the author, at least as a jump off point, And then mm-hmm. they're often willing to help out with refinements and stuff, but yeah, that's, that really is special. And I, I did start there, you know, he told me that. And so we were like, the next step is to kind of give me an outline what this book would look like. And so I did that, um, a chapter outline and very thin summaries based on some things that I had seen before. And then I got feedback from him and questions from him and realized like, this needs a lot more. We need to get a lot deeper into this. So that was really helpful to kind of have that um, essentially coaching hand to help me yeah, help me through this. So how long was that process before he took you to the next step? We worked on, I want to say, so the article was published in June of 2022. Mm. And then we finally submitted the proposal in November. So a little under six months. So we were probably working on the proposal for maybe four to five months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was mostly, you know, just take it and work on it. And then he'll take it give me some feedback and I'll, you know, and I'll tweak it. It was just some back and forth like that with, with, good chunks of time in between, but it ended up, it was a lot of writing. You know, I, I yeah. really fleshed out a lot of the book and you know this, cause this is the work yeah. you do with authors, <laughs> but it, I came from a marketing and copywriting perspective. So the first draft of the proposal that I wrote was really just marketing copy. It was kind mm-hmm. of like teasers. Um, yeah. and I spent a lot of time with my agent fleshing out those chapter summaries and, and getting a lot more into the meat. Um, thankfully, and answering the questions that he had that he knew editors and eventually readers would have. So it really fleshed out what this book will be. And at the same time, because I was building the brand and the business and the philosophy behind the business, it helped me flesh that out too, and really understand what this business is going to be in the world and kind of the work that I'm going to be doing in the world. So it was a real gift to be able to do that um, so early in building my business instead of kind of doing a lot of the work and doing the book proposal years down the road, which is what I expected to do. Right. Right. Yeah. It it was, it's kind of like a reverse order, you know, and a lot of compared to what Mm -hmm. most people do. Yes. Very much. Yeah. And so uh, and so you ended up going with um, a, a, an arm of Hachette and it was like a, let me, let me get this right. I want to, I have it in my notes here. Well, you could just say it because, mm-hmm. uh, cause obviously little Brown, little Brown spark. Yes. Which okay. is an imprint of little Brown, which is an imprint of Hachette. Okay. See, that's where I was like, so did Hachette pick up little Brown when I wasn't paying attention? Is that what happened? <laughs> they, they must have. Yeah. I, okay. I <laughs> you know, they, they get, they, the big, mm-hmm. the big ones pick up the the medium ones or the yep. small ones so quickly. 
it's like if you turn your head for a minute, you miss one. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So Hachette has little brown. Okay, great. And sh- share with our listeners a little bit about that process mm-hmm. of how you ended up with Hachette, you know, and we'll start there. And then maybe we could talk a little bit about your editor as well in that relationship. Yeah, I... So at the same time that the literary agent reached out to me from the article, a few days later, maybe a week later, an editor from Little Brown Spark also reached out uh, with the same question. This is great. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So I had a conversation with her as well after talking to my agent and or, you know, after the initial conversation with my agent who would become my agent. And she seemed from that first conversation, she seemed really aligned. Um, She acquired for Little Brown Spark and published the book, um, The Anti-Diet, or I'm sorry, just Anti-Diet. I'm sure that's very annoying to the author, Um, (laughs) which took a similar kind of take on diet culture. And so she was interested in the comparisons that I had made between budget culture and diet culture. The way, you know, in the conversation with her, it really, I really felt like she understood what I was doing and, and could be a great kind of shepherd for this book for me. So she was always in the back of my mind um, when I was working with my agent and we fleshed out the whole book proposal because the editor still needed that to take to her team. Sure. And so it wasn't a, wasn't a done deal by any means, just because I had that interest. That is um, true. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, yeah, I've, I've worth, learned worth enough noting, not to count my chickens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just because there's interest, it's not yeah. a deal till it's inked. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we still spent, you know, that four months or so doing the book proposal. And we originally uh, had planned to shop the manuscript or sorry, shop the proposal around um, and do an auction with multiple sure. publishers because um, my agency works with these large publishers and so would have a list of all the imprints and, and things that wow. I don't know a lot about. But we decided largely for the sake of time to start with an exclusive submission to Little Brown Spark because the editor was already interested and because she was able to use and willing to use the my article as my writing sample. So I didn't have to write sample chapters, um, oh, which would have... Yeah taken oh, that, another that couple is, of months to get through. Is, right. Yeah. So, oh, okay. So you just had the chapter summaries without, yeah, that is, yes. that is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that shortened the amount of time it took to get the proposal ready for the publisher. And so we decided to go with that. If they, if Little Brown Spark passed, then we would shop it around, take that next right. step and, and take it further. Um, but I, I was really interested in working with this editor anyway because she just seemed like a good fit. And so, and, and the imprint is also a good fit for the kind of book that I want to write. They do um, prescriptive books with, you know, that, that inclusion of sort of the big idea. So what you were talking about, that mix of both um, telling you kind of what to do and also this like cultural commentary at the same time, they do a good job of that. So um, I was interested in, in the publisher for that reason too. So it was a little bit of kismet, just kind of luckily the right people, you know, were the first ones to reach out to me. And I tried to stay aware, you know, as a writer who's always been interested in writing a book of not getting too excited and just going with the first opportunity that came along. I tried to really think through that and hold back and, and make sure that I was considering that these were the right choices for me. While at the same time, you know, you don't want to let that slip through your fingers. So 
Um, yeah, because it is yeah. rare, right? Especially to have an right. editor. Uh, it's more common for an agent to reach out, uh, mm-hmm. less common for an editor. And uh, even not common, though, for an agent to reach out at all. N- neither is common. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to make that clear. But <laughs> but to have a specific editor from a specific house that doesn't have a po- necessarily a policy of reaching out to authors. Um, right. You know, that that really is something. And I think, I think you, I think it makes sense that you gave her that, that opportunity because, especially because you already sensed the alignment and she was so proactive about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, yeah, no one was going to, to be take that step, as excited about the idea. <laughs> yeah. You need a, you need an editor in the publishing house who's going to be a true advocate for mm-hmm. you and your work. And so you got really great signals from her behavior that that's exactly who she would be for you. And that is absolutely worth extra brownie points in the, in the mix. Right. Yes. Yeah. I think it's worth rewarding with that yeah. exclusive yeah. submission and, you know, giving extra consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah. Nobody was going to be as much of an advocate and as excited about the book as the person who, you know, conceived that there could, that I could have a book in me before I even suggested to them, you know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is so exciting. And so uh, do we have a pub date, a specific pub date yet, or where are you in the stages now? What are you, where are you in this process now? Uh, There's not a set publishing date I'm writing this year. So I got the offer in early December And so that's another thing that I've learned about publishing is I'm just signing the contract now. So that's three or four months later, Totally, um, which I was told is, yeah, which I was told is normal. I was told to expect it. So I'm doing all right. Um, And then I have a year to write the book. So the manuscript is due at the end of this year. And so we're expecting it to be published in late 2024. Um, And that's all. So we don't have a date set because we're going to have to see sort of what happens in 2024. It's a political election year. So, you know, all of these things can, could affect it, but um, yeah. So looking almost two years, um, almost a two year long process. Yeah. That, that seems about right. And, and my understanding too, is that it seems like spring season is more for health and fitness books and fall season is more for business finance books generally. So it yeah. wouldn't surprise me that they'd be looking for the latter part mm-hmm. of 2024. Yeah, that's good to know too. It's, yeah, it's yeah. an so interesting it's one. Totally mm-hmm. uh I and I they I think they do actually have numbers, right? On when books actually I know for a fact they have numbers mm-hmm. on when books tend to perform better. And right. so yeah, it kind of makes sense, right? Because mm-hmm. by March, if you're trying to lose weight and you've already figured out you're not going to do everything you said in your new year's resolution by March. So that's the perfect time to put out a weight loss book. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And personal finance kind of falls in either of those categories. It's technically like business finance, but right. it really is a, you know, it's really a personal development. Right. Yeah. It's a topic yeah, area. Right in that um, so people do f- have that interest in the new year a little bit. So, yeah. So we'll see what happens, but I'm, I'm just letting it be. I'm not being too eager. I come from, you know, digital media where everything happens really fast. Um, (laughs) But I knew coming into this that it was going to be a long process. And I really appreciated it because I learned so much and 
was able to do so much learning and reflection throughout the proposal process with my agent that I really came to appreciate how protracted this process is. So I'm not, I'm looking forward to the, this year to write the book and the year to prepare for publishing and promotion um, rather than being like too eager to get it out. Well, that, yeah, that's that's a good that's a good approach because you'll you'll have a lot less frustration that way, and and you know it's wonderful to have that time to really make sure you write the book that you want to write. Right. So as you look forward to your to your launch date, like how are you envisioning? Like where are we going to find? Where are we going to see you when you're promoting the book? Like like what what kinds of uh, activities are you thinking of? Uh, in terms of promoting, because I think it's kind of tricky when you have this this one post that really takes off, right? Mm-hmm. And you're obviously a writer, so I imagine you'll be writing about it. You know, you've, you've clearly been published and made, you know, all the major publications. But I'm curious to hear how that thought process was for you, you know, just in light of how all of this came to be. Yeah, that's and, and what you're how you're taking that forward. Yeah, it's a really intimidating part of this Mm -hmm. because I, you know, I came into this knowing I've been paying attention kind of to the publishing world and to writing and publishing advice, just as a writer with a dream. We hear so often right now that no publisher will pick you up if you don't have a big social media following of your own. Right. Um, And I'm happy to say that I was able to get a deal without that big following of my own. I have an email list that stands around 3,500 right now. um, And then like, you know, depending on the social media platform, two or 3000 followers. So um, it's it, nothing to the yeah. kind of the extent that they sort of blow it up to be of what you, where you need to be. So I was glad to get over that hurdle. But now when I think about having to sell the book, part of, you know, me being happy that I have two years before I'm going to have to do that is that now I know exactly kind of what I'm aiming for with that audience. And that's really helpful. So I know I need to build an audience that's going to be interested in this topic because I'm going to have a book on this topic to sell to them. So that's a big help. So I can sort of focus my marketing and the, my audience growth over the next two years. But the, the other piece of it is I'm sort of, (laughs) I'm sort of, hoping, expecting to use the book as that sort of, to to sort of open some doors. And I know that that's like, I know that's not a hundred percent, like that's a a little tricky. Uh, There's their PR people. It does. (laughs) Well, I do know that, you know, (laughs) it will be easier for me to get on certain podcasts. If I say I just published a book, than if I just reach out and say, I have this idea I want to talk about. So that's a big, and, and to, you know, pitch articles to certain publications. So that's a big part of it is having, having the book as that sort of backup um, uh, foundation for pitching articles. Like you said, I'm a writer. So I know that if I can get an assignment, I can write a great piece and, you know, and I'll, and it'll be worthy of the New York times or whatever kind of target publications. Um, if I can get booked on a podcast, I will be able to talk about this topic, especially in two years after I have exhausted myself writing about it. Um, so, so those are kind of the big things is like kind of uh-huh. using the book as a, as an anchor for those types mm-hmm. of pitches. Um, I know that the publisher will have a publicist that I can work with. So that'll be helpful for me in a little bit. I also know that I'm a very small author for this publisher. And so I'm not going to be any publicist's top 
right. um, priority <laughs> because they're just going to have bigger fish to fry. Right. But I will use any doors that they can open, any advice that they can give me, I will use it. I'll take advantage of it and just continue to lean on, like I said, knowing that I know this subject inside and out and, and building my confidence in that. And also knowing that from the beginning, what got me this book deal was my ability to write. And so as much as I can use that, I will use that. Um, so I'll just use kind of any opportunity that I have to continue to, you know, to continue to do that and get attention in that way. Well, wow, this has been so exciting and interesting and informative. And I, uh, just am so grateful to you for coming here today to share, you know, so candidly about your your this whole process. And I, I know that there's so much value here for our listeners. So before I let you go, though, I I must ask my signature final question, which is, what have I not asked you today that you would love to answer? I think. Uh, listeners might be wondering, sort of looking for a how-to, and I'm kind of used to that in the personal finance space, is um, people love to share stories, success stories, um, but what readers are really looking for is like, so what does that mean for me, right? What can I take out of this? And so it's really exciting for me to share this experience and to celebrate that I had this article that went viral, that a lot of readers really loved, that um, attracted attention from an agent and an editor. And that I was able to turn that into a book deal. That's very exciting, but it's not really a blueprint that you can offer to someone right. because there's <laughs> a lot of luck involved in that. Yes, yeah, And so the, the one piece of advice that I want to share is to be prepared for that kind of serendipity. Um, that's definitely, I I have some friends who in the entertainment business and one piece of advice that has always been tossed around there is like, always have a script that you're working on or always have five ideas for a TV show, right? Because you never know when someone's going to sit down next to you and say, hey, what are you working on? And then they're, you know, they're a producer at NBC or something. This really shows that that same thing can happen. I wasn't planning on writing a book. It wasn't part of my business plan for the next year. But I was developing the philosophy and I had been developing, you know, how am I going to teach personal finance? Like, what is my take on this? And so I had that in the bag. So when someone reached out to me, I was able to say, here's what I've got. So it actually wasn't very difficult to write the outline for the book. Mm -hmm. um, and then all the agent had to do was just help me flesh it out into a proposal that we could actually sell and flesh it out into something that could actually be a book. But they didn't have to, neither the agent or the editor really had to change the chapters that I had created because I knew what I wanted to say. And so I think being prepared with that um, is going to be really important. And if I hadn't been, I don't think it would have been a good idea to take this opportunity at this moment, even though someone reached out. It might have been a better idea to say no and to wait until I was prepared so that I don't end up putting out something that I'm not, you know, really happy with. That's, that's, that's fantastic advice. And so mm -hmm. the bottom line of this episode is be prepared to get lucky. Yes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. we are so lucky, Dana, that you were here with us. And so thank you again for being with us on the Author's Corner. Thank you so much, Robin. 
Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.